Welcome to the Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts all of us. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. Join us on Facebook at the Broadband Bunch to see the latest episodes, news, and photos. The Broadband Bunch, as always, sponsored by ETI Software. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. My name is Pete Pizzatello and I am joined today by a good friend and longtime colleague, Jeff Riley. Jeffrey, how are you doing? Hey, Pete. I am great, man. How are you? Good. It's, it's, it's been a while since we've been on a podcast together. I know. I'm, uh, I missed it, actually. I'm glad uh, we're getting the band back together. So right. I'm, I'm pretty pumped. And you know I'm going to get loud. So just, you just tell me to shut it. That's right. This is, we're going to be talking about some very exciting things. So control your emotions. Um, <laughs> I'll do my best. Just for some context, Jeff and I launched another podcast a few years ago about software and software engineering. And uh, that thing just took off. And, you know, we got- We said, let's do it again. We did. It was a lot of fun. We spent a lot of time hanging around that microphone. But today, <laughs> um, but since then, you know, last few years, we've been working in the broadband uh, world, right? And um, one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you on the show today is because you have an opportunity that a, a lot of folks don't have, and that's to talk to a lot of service providers and uh, figure out, you know, we all know there's a lot going on in the industry. Um, and there's a lot of people at different states of maturity and of um, technological states, you know, and you have a unique position to be able to meet with those folks and understand what's going on. And we thought it'd be great to kind of take some of the conversations that you had and distill them down to some some observations that you're seeing in the marketplace. I think that's a great idea. So with that said, we're going to take this thing on a little ride. But um, overall, you know, what is the the biggest thing that you're hearing from leaders in the in service provider uh, organizations right now? Well, do you mind if I like take a step back a little bit and maybe just give you my sense of, you know, of sort of the market and where, you know, why, why I came to ETI and, and what we're trying to do? Does that give you some context? Yeah, that would be helpful. Go All right. For it. Just stop me. Um, so, uh, as you well know, I think I've actually just had my two-year anniversary uh, with ETI. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, but you know, as is often when I do job changes, um, you know, I, sometimes I, I, I bring, you know, I've been in software for about 25 years, but I certainly didn't know very much at all about telecom. And so, uh, when I had the opportunity to come to ETI, there's only kind of one way I know how to do it, which is to go talk to people and find out, you know, <laughs> what, what is this stuff and why did you buy it and how does it help you? And, uh, and, I, and, and it's been a really uh, valuable experience just going out and talking to clients. And, and as you know, Pete, um, ETI has, you know, big clients and small clients and we have, you know, traditional telephone clients and we have cable providers and munis and utilities. And, and I think it's been uh, a really interesting ride and that was really pre-COVID, but you know, ultimately, I went out and, and talked to to as many clients as I could, 
And I kept hearing a lot of the same things and, and, you know, people, I think, use different terminology for it. I'm just going to use the terminology of zero touch provisioning, right? And zero touch to the subscriber. And I think for uh, anyone listening is going to know that that's really a goal and it makes sense, right? I mean, I think the, the ability to give the, the subscriber the power, um, to make decisions and to add and delete services and, and to do super cool things like I do with my kid, like turn off the Wi-Fi at 11 o'clock. So his <laughs> Xbox doesn't work, you know, right. like that's like the coolest stuff ever. Um, and you can see why, um, every ISP wants that control, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's the future, right? It's what happens inside my house. And so, I heard this and I was like, okay, zero touch. So what does that mean? And and with your help, certainly we started to dig down a little bit in terms of what do the systems need to do in order for uh, for us to achieve this idea of zero touch provisioning? And I think it's it's it it was more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Uh, and if you can imagine, because the whole process from beginning to end, right, has to be as automated as possible. That's the whole point of zero touch. I want as I want as little human intervention as I possibly can on the ISP side. And I want as much control on the subscriber side. And I think that um, the, you know, that that really informed and really sort of formed my opinion of how we were going to go to market and what we were going to do. And, um, you know, if you've heard of ETI before, you you probably fall into the classic area of, you know, what I'm going to call world-class provisioning. Obviously, I'm pretty biased, but it's what uh, ETI does incredibly well, right? And that's the sort of less sexy side of, of of the OSS, BSS journey, but it's really Really, really critical. And so for us, it was how do we provide um, our customers the ability to really have that um, seamless connection between provisioning and what a customer service rep sees or what a field service technician uh, can see and do and know what's on their truck and know what job they have to do and where they have to go next. Um, And so that's really informed a lot of our strategy moving forward is really kind of two, I'll say three kind of major areas. One is in, um, I'll call it the next gen BSS, but basically our ability to build on a platform that allows really seamless connection between billing, customer service, field service, asset and inventory management, service rating, all the all the you know front office kind of things. Um, at the same time, we had to keep up with the pace of technology on the be on the OSS side, which is all these new devices and services are coming out. And then um, we had to connect the two, and and that really takes uh, you know centralized integration and orchestration, and and that's really what we've been doing. So that was probably way more than you wanted, Pete. But hopefully that kind of <laughs> gives you a sense of where where we're trying to go. No, it's a great overview. I appreciate that, and I think you're right. We we spent a lot of time talking about zero touch and how it's really one of the observations I think that we had coming into this marketplace is that we felt telecommunications was a bit of a laggard, right? Because there was a lot. We see a lot of this in healthcare and financial services and uh, insurance where um, 
the systems were just more mature and the consumer expectation was higher. Um, you know, it, well, it is higher now that these things should be available. And, and I think one of the great um, missions that, you know, we try to provide is take this enterprise capability to all people, right? And to all providers and being able to um, have all the great tools like AI and AR and all the cool stuff, but being a small municipally owned, municipal owned uh, service provider where you have 10 or 15,000 subscribers, right? And and I think that was um, an interesting challenge to be able to, to do what you said in terms of tackling the you know, supporting the zero touch vision across those three different dimensions, but also being able to bring it up and down the food chain. Um, but one of the things that I think we discovered along the way is, you know, there is kind of a dirty or an ugly underside within these organizations of regardless of what size, right? That there's a lot going on that's been built over time um, through incremental addition of new new equipment or acquisition. There's a lot of complexity in there that people are struggling to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And and just back to something that you taught that you said, Pete, because I think you're spot on is, you know, I have, um, where I live, I have a major, uh, you know, carrier, right. And so the, the, uh, the feature sets that I get access to, and I mentioned, you know, turning off my son's, uh, you know, Wi Fi, which he just absolutely can't stand, but it's great. Um, you know, not not everyone's going to get that, right? You're going to get that from some of the major carriers, but right. we want to be able to offer, um, you know, the same general power, and I mean power across the board, um, that a you know a small ISP or small municipality uh, is going to need to compete. Because I think if you look across, you know, time, you know, there are there are times when companies and organizations compete along things like price. Um, but then it always comes back around to feature set. And I think you see that in in lots of different verticals, but you certainly see it in telecom where, you know, you've got a choice, right? And and people decide on price, but people decide just as much on features, especially when price becomes the great equalizer and you're within, you know, three or five or 10 bucks, um, then you're going to look for the other feature sets. And so if you're a small ISP and you don't have that, it's really tough to compete. And so I think for us, um, you're spot on. I think being able to bring this enterprise capability, this idea of zero touch, of course, the big boys can do it. They have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in R&D. But what are you going to do if you're a small ISP? It's just too difficult. And so for us, our mission to be able to bring that enterprise capability uh, is uh, is something that I think we're really striving for and, and we're really doing it. Um, which is great. I think we all wanted to do it and we all believed in it, but then being able to really do it uh, is something pretty special. So what's your conversations like with a, a small service provider that understands the vision that we're talking about, that wants to eat the elephant in one bite, um, but doesn't have you know the risk profile or, or the, the time or the money to go after that? I mean, how, what's, what's the advice there to help people get started on that path? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really great question, Pete. And I think the, you know, for us, uh, I, I'm a, you know, you know this about me, but I'm a big fan of, of the crawl, walk, run <laughs> methodology. Right. Uh, and I think that, you know, that is, uh, it's best and safest for everybody. I think our ability to start in one place and then be able to offer more 
um, is is the right approach for everybody involved. So, you know, for our clients and prospects, I mean, certainly for new ISPs that we're talking with, um, it's it's great to start on the provisioning side because everyone really kind of needs it. You know, whether you have a bunch of other software uh, that you're deploying or you're totally greenfield, I think that's the place to start. Uh, and then that's going to lead to other things like the overall device management, right? And we're seeing a, really a huge uptick in what's happening inside the home. Uh, and then we can start to tackle uh, the things that tend to be um, more perceived, I'd say, or just generally more difficult when you get into pure, you know, billing and what a customer service rep sees in their user interface. But, you know, I think that's, that's our certain, our, our recommendation without a doubt. And I think it's the right thing for the ISP. You mentioned Greenfield. I mean, there's a lot of money flowing into this marketplace, right? And there's a lot of kind of non-traditional com- competition coming into play. Um, what, what, what are some of the observations that you have for the folks that we're talking to or you're talking to on the greenfield space? What's their mentality like? And what are some of the challenges you think that they're facing that's different than incumbents? Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I think you're right. I mean, I think what no one can, can calculate yet is the, um, is the impact that this amount of money is going to end up having on the market segment. You know, I think everyone thinks back to the, you know, rise of fiber. And I think that at that point there was like, you know, $10 billion coming into the market. And now there's like, you know, 42 quadrillion dollars. It's just <laughs> absolutely insane. Um, and I think you are seeing, um, you know, a lot of ISPs want um, to leverage that money and to grow right within their markets. But I think you do see, and I think you're going to continue to see a lot more pure greenfield, right? I mean, think about why, right? I mean, now it's uh, it's getting into the internet business, right? You don't have to deal with a lot of the video and right. negotiating with channels and all the things that really stopped uh, an ISP from you know from becoming. Now, um, you know, with with every with all the over the top uh, services, I can I can offer internet. So I think for a green field, the ability to Start with the end in mind, meaning they on um, they want a minimum uh, a minimal footprint, right? They don't want a huge amount of people. They don't want um, uh, a gigantic workforce that's difficult to maintain. So you know the idea for them, um, they sort of think zero touch right off the bat. Like, yeah. hey, how can you get me everything that I need, fully tied in, and uh, you know, with, with really the, the, the least amount of effort. And, and that's great. I mean, it really kind of goes to, you know, one of those three buckets that we were talking about is, you know, that next gen BSS that includes things like billing um, and service rating. And so we're able to, you know, be the one-stop shop and, and that's a pretty cool place to be, especially for ETI. This is a new thing for us. You know, we're, again, as, as I mentioned before, I think we've always been great on the, on the provisioning side, but I think the ability to tie that in um, and really also live in a pretty complex ecosystem with many, many other products um, and give the 
give the ISP exactly what they need is the key. So I think it's that, you know, one throat to choke, as they say, um, is the key to, um, to a greenfield who says, listen, I want platform. I want standards. I want to do it right the first time. I don't, I'm not carrying any baggage with me, which is great. So, um, you know, how do I set this up right the first time? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the speed to market issue is actually playing in their favor because they need to be lean and they need to keep things simple because they got to get to market quickly and they also need to be affordable, right? So I see a lot of that is driving their decision making today. Yeah. And I think, you know, back in the day, you could take 18 months to, you know, lay fiber and and not turn anybody on, right? But there's a lot of requirements in the new funding um, where, you know, you can't do that, right? You've got to be turning up subscribers um, ASAP. So I think that that puts that that puts the provisioning and subscriber management much closer to the front of the line, right? Where uh, in the, you know, in the past, it was kind of the last thing you'd worry about after you've done a whole lot of work. But I think it's different now. I think you got to worry about it right away. And not only that, but I think they want something that is foundationally stable and can grow with them and is something that they can have for the next decade. So you mentioned when we talked about Greenfield, you mentioned something about standards, right? And I think um, there's an interesting duality going on where some things, some aspects of this business are getting easier right? Like you said, there's less services that folks that are coming to market need to worry about and don't need to build up all the infrastructure to support things like video and voice. Um, there's all, But there's a lot more complexity as well um, in terms of the technical complexity. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of things from a maturity um, perspective that people are starting to dial into like, like standards, right? So TM forum standards and open APIs and the open data architecture stuff. You know, what, what are your thoughts in terms of how people are embracing standards and do you see it helping? Um, yeah, I think standards is a really, really interesting um, discussion topic, especially in the ETI market, right? I think um, I was actually involved in TM Forum a really long time ago and in, in an old life, we were managing all of the models um, for the TM Forum. Um, so it's funny how, uh, how life works that way. Um, but I think the, you know, what, what I think what I'm seeing is the, the very, very large telcos um, and ISPs in general, I think, understood uh, process and understood standards. But I think that now more and more, um, you know, into the tier two and tier three markets, they're really starting to understand the benefits of standards. And I think that, you know, when you have an opportunity to, uh, you know, generally what I'll call wipe the slate clean a little bit, um, why wouldn't you go to uh, and want to follow standards that, you know, you at least know, you know, hundreds and thousands of minds have come together to think about and to plan. Um, and at the same time, it's going to it's going to future proof you, you know, so I think standards has been uh a really interesting thing for us. I mean, it's really been a foundation for us, I think on a couple sides, Pete. So, you know, one is certainly on the, uh, on the way that we capture information, the way that we integrate information, um, on the BSS side, but it's really also on the downstream provisioning side. So, um, you know, software defined networking is kind of taking over the world and, and there's a lot of, 
standards on that side too. And so uh, I think generally, you know, that's I'm I'm excited that ETI is getting into that game where we're going to follow the standards and we're going to make every single one of our clients comfortable with the fact that, um, yeah, we're going to do it the right way and we're going to make it, uh, you know, as standardized as we possibly can for them because that's kind of the warm blanket I'd be looking for, which is I don't want to do this again in, in three years. And, and as everything changes, how does that affect me? And if I'm standards-based and I'm platform-based, that means I can handle that. Uh, and that's really what I want. Yeah, and there's another dimension to that as well in the standards piece, as well as the automation piece where, you know, there is a resource crunch happening, right? That there's two things simultaneously happening where there's a lot more um, activity being, uh, a lot of activity in broadband. So there's a lot more demand on the few resources that were trained and available, but there's also an aging out process. You know, these folks are getting older and older. And so what the conversations that we hear a lot is, you know, we don't really have the institutional knowledge to keep working the way we have worked in the past, maintaining certain scripts or protocols that that guy down the hall just has embedded in his brain. So leaning into the standards and standard processes has been, a, I think, a good uh, mitigation strategy for folks that are saying, look, we, we just can't continue to work this way because we just won't have the people to run it and to be able to say, OK, well, how do other people do it? Be able to look up and down the the food chain and see, okay, large tier ones, global folks have already spent a lot of time thinking about how the data should look, what the processes and workflows should look. And the opportunity to kind of reinvent the infrastructure is invited that opportunity to bring in new processes, um, as well as like you said, with the automation piece that they're just gonna have less people to help in the short term until the industry can catch up and start providing more field service techs or more CSRs or whatever else there needs to be. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I, I, and I would, I think I, I call that the DIYers, <laughs> you right. know, I mean, I think we see that a lot um, where, yeah, really smart people got figured it out. Um, but what happens when those people start to retire uh, or whether, you know, you just want to start growing, we're seeing a lot of that, right. Where um, the systems have just kind of been cobbled together a little bit and maybe they're okay in the status quo world, but the minute you want to start to really grow and double, the number of subscribers, you just know that that uh, that approach just isn't going to work. So it's kind of the, the 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 double you know the double hit on you, right? Is is really you know one person really knows it very very well, but they're um, it's going to take forever to scale that. So I think that's a driver, and I'm hoping that the standards based messaging and and thinking. Uh, is going to give people what they're looking for, which is something that can grow, can scale. Uh, and that is something that can be with them for, you know, the next however long, right? I mean, that's that's the point of standards. It's a point of platform uh, is is to grow with, uh, with the customer, right? That's the key. So I'm going to ask you to put on your uh, crystal ball, put it on oh, or look through it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you've been here for two years, seen a lot of changes, kind of learned a lot. What what do you expect to see? What's the world going to look like in 24 months from now? Uh, I thought you were going to ask me 24 years. That would have been really, uh, really <laughs> challenging. Um, I think um, I think you're going to see, um, you know, I think you're going to see more of the same. I think that meaning 
we're just at the very beginnings of the uh, just ridiculously gigantic amount of money coming in um, to uh, to this industry. And I think you're going to see every ISP that's already here want to grow. Um, and you're going to see a lot of new players entering the market. Uh, I think, you know, we're, we're even seeing a lot of private equity come in, uh, which I think is really interesting, right? Um, and it makes a lot of sense because I think the ability to, um, you know, build up an annuity, uh, you know, like this is, is pretty, uh, is pretty interesting and, and your, and your client base tends to be pretty loyal. But um, I, I think you're going to see more of the same, Pete. I mean, I think the, you know, every customer that we uh, have right now is in growth mode. Um, right. They're, they are not doing, you know, they're not, I, I don't talk to a lot of customers that are um, kind of in status quo and pretty okay with that. I think whether, whether they're trying to, uh, you know, get into new markets or uh, really grow subscribers or even just add more services, right. To be able to give their subscriber more, uh, more capability, more reason to stay. Um, I think that's, I think we're going to see a lot of that. I mean, I think, I always get these stats wrong, but I think it's still like, you know, one in four Americans just don't have, at, you know, internet or at least access to, you know, reasonable internet where you can stream Netflix. I mean, that's a lot of the United States, man. That's crazy, yeah. right? I mean, so I think the... um you're you're going to continue to see that, and I love that. I mean, I I hope that you know infrastructure and and internet connectivity is a really bipartisan issue. I mean, I don't know how you you live these days. I mean, it's right when you think about like imagine life without without internet. It's just insane. Um, <laughs> and then clearly, COVID. I think just. I think just accelerated this trend, you know, by five more, by, by, by five years at least, right. Is because all of a sudden now trying to do school from home or, you know, telemedicine, um, it, or just work from home, uh, forget it. Right. I mean, if you don't have good, reliable internet, um, man, you, you are in trouble. So I think, I think you're going to see an acceleration over these next two years. I think it's going to get crazy, which I'm excited about, but I think it's going to get nuts, right? I mean, I think as, as more of the money, uh, really starts, uh, working, um, uh, I think you're going to see it just, uh, get, get, get nutty, uh, well, over the next couple of years. I have two comments on, on your, on your looking forward for the next 24 months. One is, um, I do think we're going to see the digital divide slowly getting closed from um, just from the sure pure investments that we're seeing. Um, it's not going to be acceptable, but it's going to start improving. So the poorer areas are going to start getting the, the funding they need and the infrastructure they need. The same with the rural areas. But then I, I see another gap happening. It's where the folks that are existing providers are unable or don't have the money or whatever the decision is. They're kind of stuck with the status quo where they can't invest the way they need to. Um, but there's some amazing communities and organizations that are doing some pretty cool work, right? And that you're going to see, you know, 10 gig to, uh, to households, right? Um, which is going to be able to have kind of an unfair advantage, if you will, but it'll be just kind of a, a gap on the innovation side, which my hope is that those kind of trailblazers or early adopters start pulling in or, you know, I guess decomposing the status quo, that realizing that, you know, we can't just keep living up to just connectivity, right? We need to start getting to a digital, uh, supporting a digital economy and digital world that people deserve and expect. Does that make any sense? 
Yeah, I would agree. And I, I would agree. I mean, I think the, I mean, challenges always bring in like pretty amazing innovation, right? And and when you try to solve a problem, it's pretty easy to do math on, you know, laying fiber or or being able to have gig or 10 gig internet in a city, right? Where you're passing a hundred, you know, households, you know, per half mile. But what do you do in middle America when you've got a house every, you know, two miles, right? I mean, so the, the, the innovation around how to do that and how to bring, you know, not just like internet, but really good, fast, reliable internet to every part of, of the U S I think is, um, and you're right. And the world, um, is, 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 is just absolutely bringing out a huge amount of innovation of innovation. And I think we're seeing that, um, you know, all over the map. And, and, and again, I think you're right. I think the, the expectation is there and that's going to push organizations to come up with new and interesting ways um, to be able to do it. I mean, I love like the race to, you know, I guess 10 gig is is now the next thing. I don't know. I mean, unless you're like, you know, driving a a self-driving Tesla, I I don't know what I, I, you know, I I don't know. I, I always find that funny. Like, I, I think I have a gig in my house and, you know, I think I have 75 devices running simultaneously and I think I use like a tenth of that. So, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to be doing with 10 gigs. I guess I, I, I need to figure it out and like do some pretty cool stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the clearly that the, uh, you know, the need and I think the other part in in a post-COVID world and, and I don't think we've seen this yet is you know, I, I think there was some, um, you know, move sort of from the city, you know, into the country sort of classic terminology, but I think you're going to see it go crazy now because you can now live anywhere, right? I mean, how many friends do you have that work for organizations that are never going to go back to brick and mortar? I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, it's like fascinating to think about that. But now you're, you know, whatever job you're in and you're clearly working from home uh, for the foreseeable future, um, you know, you're going to see people say, hey, I want to go live in, you know, Montana. I want to go live in, you know, the deserts in Arizona, wherever it ends up being, but where that just wasn't possible before, um, you know, it, 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 cause you had to be, you know, near your job, but if you don't have to do that anymore, you can live anywhere. So now your what is your very first requirement to say, Hey, I think I want to move out of, you know, New York or LA or Dallas. It's going to be, well, does it have good internet? Right. right. Cause I right. got to be able to do my job. Well, so it's just, it's going to be fascinating. I can't, I, it's, I can't wait to see what the world looks like five or 10 years from now. Cause I think you're going to see a large spreading out, uh, because you can, right. You can. Where before yeah. you couldn't. And I, th- I would add to that too, that you can see your doctor from anywhere and you can send your kids to any private school from anywhere now. Right. I mean, you really were kind of landlocked to what was around you educationally for your kids. But if you're in a full virtual mode, you can send your kid to, I don't know, is there, is there a Harvard high school? I don't know, but you know, something <laughs> like that. I mean, that, all that stuff, you're, you're completely untethered. And I do think that's another trend that we'll see coming out, you know, to your point around the 10 gig is like, why do you need that? But I, I do think there's going to be dedicated platforms for telehealth or for education, right? Because what happens with the telehealth stuff, they needed 
certain stuff that was what HIPAA compliant and um, you know there was really no solution and they end up using Zoom anyway, right? Which was not legit, but nobody was complaining. But eventually that's going to be a problem. And the same yep. thing with your school. I mean, Google Classroom and all that stuff is going to be fine, but somebody's going to come along with a, you know, a specific learning platform that's for high schools or middle schoolers. It's safe. It has all the capabilities. It's really verticalized for that stuff. And I think those are going to run on top of the existing infrastructure um, instead of people kind of piecemealing it the way we're doing it today. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. I mean, certainly, you know, and I'm, of, of course, I'm half joking. I mean, I think the, you know, more connectivity and faster connectivity is always great. Um, it's just at some point, you wonder how much you're going to use. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, and it obviously just pushes it more to the edge, right? If you can, you know, the, if you can just get faster connectivity, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I mean, I'm uh, I'm I'm super excited to be at ETI now. I think it's um, not only the company just kind of going through, you know, a two year transition and investment period, but just being in this market. I mean, and to be fair, I mean, I, I I've been in the software business for a really long time, and I think this is my first job that my mom can actually understand what I do, <laughs> um, which is sounds. Like not a big deal, but it is, you know, right. she was, a, she's a retired, you know, fifth grade teacher and she'd always be like, what, what do you do? What do you and now I'm like, mom, turn on your TV. Like, Hey, see that? That's, that's me. You know? And she's like, oh, okay. I can get that one. So listen, yeah. that that's, I'm playing with house money at this point. You know, if my mom knows what I do, then, uh, then the, 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 the life is good. No, it's good and make mom happy. One last question, then we'll wrap it up. You know, we talked about some trends that are happening out there and some of the experience that we're having helping some folks out or around is in the open access network model, right? And in talking about um, sustainability and affordable, you know, just having shared resources. What's your thoughts there on the on the open access world? Do you see it continuing? Because it's been hot and cold, right? I mean, in the US, it kind of has its spikes. But what's your thoughts on it currently? Yeah, it's a great question, Pete. I I, I personally think it's gonna keep it's gonna keep growing. I mean, if you think about the model, it's actually a really good model. Um, you know, I can see why it's kind of the dominant uh, approach. You know, in other parts of the world, but I think it does a couple things. I you know, one competition's pretty is is pretty important, and I think that that's just overall way better for the consumer and for the subscriber when they have choice. Um, but I think it also really separates the the you know owning of the network versus owning of the services that ride on that network. And and I think that you're going to see a lot of that, especially when again with this the with the incoming money and all the different kinds of money and having a city or a town that wants to be able to deliver great internet to their uh, to their citizens, but they don't really want to deal with, you know, all of the moving parts. Uh, you know, the open access approach is great. So I, I think, um, you know, ETI has been really fortunate to be um, successful and really successful in this, in the, in the open access market area. But I think it's going to continue in the U.S. I think you're going to see it, um, you know, become 
the end thing, man. I do. I think it's a, I think it's a great approach to really doing what a city or town wants, right? Which is I want to deliver great internet to the people that live in my town. So they're happy and they stay. Um, and at the same time, can they make some money um, and do it really sort of effectively? Um, you know, the answer is yes. Yeah. So I think, I think you're going to see it continue, man. I mean, we'll, we'll see, but I, I, I'd, I'd put my money on that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, all the early conversations that we have and, and kind of the mid-flight deployments that we're working on are um, are really encouraging. I think it's a great model for affordability and sustainability, but also just choice, right? I mean, going back to, it all comes back to the consumer. They expect to be able to control their own destiny, control their own experience and have choice, right? And I think that it lines up fairly well in that model if uh, municipalities can figure it out. Um, any questions you want to ask me, Jeff? Uh, just, uh, you know, what, what's your experience been like? It, is it, is it what you expected? Uh, well, joining the broad, broadband industry has been really amazing. I think, um, I think the, this being part of the broadband bunch and having the chance to talk to a lot of the folks that are kind of in the throes of it, you know, we kind of are one or two steps removed. That's just amazing. I, I, mean, I consider these people kind of patriotic efforts, being able to help folks, um, solve this problem, you know, like it's. You know, I may cut my neighbor's grass once in a while, but I'm not digging ditches and pulling wires and doing all this other crazy <laughs> stuff to actually solve real problems. And that to me is like, you know, there's a lot of negativity that's been floating around the, in the U.S. for the last two years. Um, but I think we need to shine a light on those types of things. There's a lot of good people doing some really awesome stuff to help people have a better life. And that's pretty inspiring. You don't always get to be a part of that. So I even totally, in small way. totally agree. It was super well said. And I think that... Uh, yeah, I mean, especially you know, I've dealt with a lot of a lot of the corporate you know execs in my lifetime, and the ability just to go meet with someone who has a really simple objective. Like, I just want to offer great internet to the people that live in my town. Like, I love that. I mean, it is. It's like a, it's it's super grassroots, and and I I love being able to 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 make that happen for people because uh, they just want to have like. They just want to have really happy people that live in their town and city. I mean, yeah. what's better than that? I, I can completely, completely jive with that. So, yeah, great, great point, Pete. All right. We've been talking with Jeff Braley. He's the president of ETI Software Solutions and uh, a former podcast counterpart of mine. So, Jeff, thanks for joining the Broadband Bunch. we got to get you back sooner. Definitely. Can I can I uh, can I throw in a request for a video one next time? Because I think well, because like you know, I you know me, and I like move my hands a lot, which was really <laughs> hard. I had to sit down like I was talking at in a library, and that's really hard for me. So next time, I'll be able to wave my hands and get crazy, which yes. I think will be fun at least for me. Yeah, we'll be launching our first video uh, podcast or interview coming up in a few a few weeks, I believe. So we'll be uh, well tuned and ready for your hands. So no sign problem. me up, dude. Yeah, sign man. me up. Well, listen, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely love the broadband bunch. Um, what you're doing is pretty fantastic. So thank you for having me. Um, it was great. It was great to do it again. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks, man. See ya.